Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we have on Paulo Elias. How you doing, Paulo? Pretty good. How you doing? Good, man. And we're, we're here. We want to talk to you about building mobile apps with React Native. So if you were out in Pamplona, Spain at the running of the bulls, and they have just let the bulls loose and you're running, you're running for your life. You get the red bandana on, all that kind of stuff. And someone who's running next to you says, hey, what's it like building mobile apps with React Native? Like, what would you say to them? I would say uh, building apps with React Native is a really fun way to uh, to build something tangible that you can put on your phone using your your uh, experience with uh, JavaScript. And if you have React experience, it uh, makes that even easier. Yeah, because I mean, one of the questions I would ask is also, why React Native? Like, why don't I just learn Swift and do it that way? I guess that depends on your experience. If you're a traditional web developer, you probably don't have a background in Swift or Objective-C or some of those types of languages. And you can uh, just dive right into uh, building a React Native app if you have that JavaScript sort of background and a web development sort of mindset. It, It sort of translates how you build things on the web into something that you can put on your phone that's an actual native app and not just a little PWA or, or web app. Are you making fun of my PWAs, Paulo? Hell no. I think <laughs> PWAs are, are awesome and probably uh, PWAs can probably replace a lot of really small, simple native apps too. So it's uh, there, there's a place for everything in the world. Yeah. And I think there are, you're right though, there are cases where you do really need that extra little bit that you can only get from a native app. And yes, you can do quite a bit with offline usage on a, a PWA and that kind of stuff. But I think we're not 100% there in terms of like, you know, I want to fire up this app while I'm in the middle of the the Alps, you know, going hand gliding with uh, with Ben. <laughs> You know, going up there or whatever. But there are certain things that native apps are just kind of nicer for. And the reason they're a little bit nicer for it is that they're built for that ecosystem and they can interact with the full, you know, suite of APIs that are available, whether it's on iOS or or Android or, or that type of thing. Exactly. One of the big misconceptions that I had about React Native when I had just like kind of heard of it was I was like, oh, well, that's really cool. You know, I can build this thing using React in my web browser, and then I'll automatically get an iOS and an Android app for free along with it. Right. But that's not how it works, right? No, it's well, so the, the sort of whole idea behind React and React Native is it's you learn once and write anywhere. It's so it's, it's different from the write once and run anywhere. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I had that misconception as well. One of the reasons you can't do that is React Native has a, a ships with a bunch of primitives that you use for iPhone or Android specific uses. So instead of a div you use in React or you, you build your own component with a div inside of that, it has something called a view. And that acts as like a block level container that you can you can still use Flexbox to lay out your app, but they're the primitives that you use to build the app look differently and behave a little differently too, depending on what you're what you're building. Yeah. So let's take a step back here and just give a quick primer on React. And we're not going to teach people how React works, but just some basic stuff. So if you're writing HTML code and you got this div 
and you put in class equals whatever, and then style equals whatever, the style and the class, those are properties of that particular component, right? The div, right? Correct. Yeah. I think you can think of them as like parameters of a function. Yeah. So when we're doing custom components in React, we're doing the same thing, right? So basically, and this is simplifying things to some extent or another, but React components are basically properties and render functions, right? In other words, you've got a bunch of properties you can pass down. In the case of a div, we've got a class property and a style property, and there, there are a bunch of others too, right? And you can add your own, yeah, or on click. And, yeah, you yeah. can add your own or, or whatever. And then in the case of a div, right, the, the browser already knows how to render it. But in the case right. of a React component, we can write some code that set, that takes in these properties and knows how to render this thing, right? Is that kind of like, a, I know it's simplified, but is that a, a decent summary of, of how it works no that's a, that's a great summary and it's it's i mean that's it, 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 boil when it boiled it down it's that's what it is it's right it's a fairly simple concept once you sort of get your head past the whole like what's this jsx stuff why does it look like html but why is it different and it's right. uh, it's 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 pretty much boils down to that you have your components that are in a react app would be sort of a custom component it could be like a header component that you write but it will have a header tag within it and then whatever other styling your or components or or HTML elements you need in there. And then you pass down props that can include state, state changes, handlers for, you know, if you want to control when something is clicked, um, you can run a function. Just, yeah, it's that's pretty much what it boils down to. Yeah, and I guess I'm just trying to draw, draw an analogy for people that maybe have never used React before. You know, you're, we, you kind of have conceptually, because if you've been writing HTML, you've been writing components, like just think of a, a div as a component, right? Mm -hmm. And then think of the, the class and the style things that you pass in. Those are properties, right? And then if mm -hmm. Paulo wanted to make, you know, Paulo's kebab component, you would just write that as Apollo-kebab, mm -hmm. and you can pass in whatever properties you want, you know, like maybe meat equals this and vegetables equals that or, or whatever it is that you want on your kebab component. Yeah. And then you can write whatever... So, the, and, and this is, in, a, in the case of a div, the browser knows how to render this thing. In the case mm -hmm. of your custom component, you write a little bit of code that says, okay, given these props and given state and whatever else is, you know, factored into this thing, render the, render this component, right? And render Correct. the actual HTML that should be output for this, right? And the reason why I'm giving this quick primer on React is that my understanding, and, and I have not done anything in, in React Native. I've been kind of eyeing it from a distance, you know, for, for quite some time. So I've read a little bit about it, but I haven't done a ton with it. But my understanding is the way that it works is you can't just take your React code and, and start using it there and get a, you know, app on iOS um, and Android for free. Because what end up happening is React under the hood has got a, um, a DOM renderer, and that gets swapped out for React DOM when you're using React Native, or sorry, or React Native DOM, when you're using React Native, is that how it works? Yeah, I don't I don't believe it's called React Native DOM. I have to go back to the documentation because it's been uh, a while since I've read those docs. Which incidentally tells you how little it matters if you don't even know what it is. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. right. It's yeah. basically something you set up at the beginning of the... Um, Right. Like in your entry point. And so, yeah, it's like goes back to what I was talking about before. The reason why you can't just port things over are the primitives that React uses are HTML elements that you're used to using in the mm -hmm. browser. Um, headers, divs, spans, paragraph tags. React Native, they don't, they haven't, uh, they don't use those. They use their own primitives, which 
translate into like a view would be similar to a, a div, a text component used to, to wrap your text around. And there's different sort of lists and flat lists and that sort of thing that you can use to, to list things out instead of ULs and ordered lists and that sort of thing. Uh, I guess where I'm trying to get at is that you would then write this you would write your React components kind of the, the same way that you're used to, although subcomponents that you would use in there would be different. But what's happening is instead of it, you're kind of like swapping out a renderer, right? So you can think of it from the point of view of, well, it used to render HTML, and now it's going to render this thing that makes sense in a iOS and Android context, right? Correct, correct. And a lot of the a lot of what you would just need to do is switch out the primitives. Mm -hmm. A lot of the way the JavaScript runs will still work within React Native. So if you have click handlers or events listening for certain things, and and you know when you re-render the state or props, the components will re-render. They'll all they'll they still should all work the same, minus any sort of differences in how like a view works compared to a paragraph tag or a span or something like that. Uh, or sorry, a div. So it's 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 pretty close. You just have to be careful about the primitives you're using to build out the structure of your application, like the, the view of the app. I guess the real idea here is that the reason we might consider React Native is if we know JavaScript, right? And we know React and we want to make a mobile app, right? Because we can do it other ways. But if we already know JavaScript and we already know React, this gives us a way to leverage an ecosystem that we know and a, a methodology of working that we know to build some pretty cool stuff, right? Yeah, it's, it's very familiar once you have some React experience to go into a React Native app and spin one up and, and start building it. There are, there are really, there are some differences in how you build and deploy. They're vastly different, right? but that's a whole other, other talk. The other thing I'm wondering is, so, you know, I'm sure I, and I haven't delved into the whole React Native libraries and what they give you, but are you then able to bring in any Node.js library that you're familiar with and know how to use, be it, you know, Axios or Apollo or Vue or whatever, well, not Vue, if we're staying in React, but, <laughs> and bring those in and, and get that running in? Does it play well with all outside libraries? Are there times where it doesn't work well? Uh, well? Maybe my experience is pretty limited, but I haven't run into any issues of bringing mm -hmm. in um, sort of standard JavaScript libraries. You can use fetch to grab data. Mm -hmm. You can use any other sort of package that you can bring in uh, that you're used to using in React. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I haven't really run, in any, run into anything out of the ordinary, but that could be because maybe the apps I'm building aren't super complicated. So I'd have to mm -hmm. I'd have to think on that and get back to you. Well, okay. it may, my guess would be that if whatever this thing you were trying to use assumed that there was a DOM renderer under the hood, mm. that it might not work. <laughs> you know? Yeah, mm. that's true. But I haven't brought in, I haven't, yeah, I haven't used things that would like, I haven't used like a, a jQuery slider in a React Native app. I <laughs> either built my own or used a, a one that's built with React components. So that definitely, I don't think that probably wouldn't work. Right. Um, and uh, well, and a lot of the things you might use a JavaScript package for are going to be built into React Native anyway, right? Because they're going to layer on top of, you know, existing uh, Android and iOS, like the UI kit, for instance, right? Because it's a it's a really rich UI kit that you get when you're doing iOS development. Right. Yeah. But the way React Native works is it actually has a JavaScript thread sitting between or I think sitting it's somewhere above the uh, the actual native portions of the app. So mm -hmm. you're still running sort of native JavaScript JavaScript, and it gets, you know, uh, pulled into the actual native components and, and the rendering of the native components on the screen. With that JavaScript thread, sometimes you just have to be careful about blocking that thread with yeah. complicated animations. And, sure. and there's actually been a lot of good work to combat that and to fix that issue so you can get 
uh, a truly native feel. Sometimes in the past, React Native apps would feel maybe a slight jank or slower scrolling or uh, just a little bit off from a native Swift built or Objective-C app because of some of that performance. But a lot of the libraries um, have been doing a lot of great work to, to get around that and sort of fix that too. Mm. Yeah. I mean, my understanding from looking into this and I'm coming from a, I, I used to do iOS development, but a lot of my experience is kind of dated at this point, but I have been looking into it and, and I think it may kind of be like anything else. Like you could write it poorly and it won't work well, mm -hmm. but it's not like the actual platform is preventing you from writing it well and having a solid performing app because some pretty high profile apps are, are written in React Native, right? There are, and there's also a, a quite a few. I mean, there's probably more apps than you realize are built in the. In Give the us app a couple. And just Give us um, a couple. Well, Airbnb used to be one, but there's a couple startups I've been talking to right now who have their entire apps built on React Native. Right. There is, well, th that's what's really surprised me was I knew it was widely used, but there's quite a few folks that I've been talking to recently that uh, are looking for React Native help and have like these, you know, I don't know if I can. What I can say, what I can't say, but um, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like in the, what can I say? Um, but like, you know, in the health space, actually two in the health space where you have to worry about HIPAA compliance and a whole bunch of other stuff that they're confident in using React Native as a platform for uh, the application that they ship to the end users. So yeah, it's been, it's been pretty eye-opening too. Well, okay. So let's start with an easy one, Facebook, <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't that right. written Facebook. in React Native? I know their messenger is written in React Native. I can't remember if they kept the actual Facebook app in React Native or not. I can't imagine it is. There was such a big uh, outcry from their old app, which was done, I think, on HTML5 technologies. And they ended up having yeah. to go back and rewrite it in, I'm guessing, Objective-C at the time. It could be some Swift by now. I ha yeah, I haven't heard anything about it switching back over to a, uh, you know, compiled right. from, yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of but examples. For their other apps. So Instagram uh, is one that it, it, it yes. at least was. I think it still is. We've also got Discord, right? Something that in the craft CMS community, people are using a good bit on their mobile device. Well, there you go. That's written in React mm -hmm. Native. And there, there are a whole, whole bunch of them. As you mentioned, Airbnb, Bloomberg, Facebook Ads Manager. I mean, it's my, my mm -hmm. real point is that, okay, so I'm, I'm going to take a step back. It's story time. Everyone pull up a chair. <laughs> Right. That's what I live for. That's what I live for. So my my wife works works for a company that I, that I won't name, but they're a decent sized company and they are not in the tech business. Right. But they are building their own iOS Android apps. Right. And they also have a website. Yeah. So they have an iOS and an Android team that are building separate code bases. They also want to then take what they have built for uh, iOS and Android, and they want to then have that appear on a website as well. And then they also want it to work in a kiosk situation, right? So mm. they've got like a walk-up kiosk or whatever. So they're looking at having four almost entirely separate code bases that they're going to have to maintain, which anyone that has ever maintained a code base, <laughs> that's, that's a nightmare, right? In terms of trying to keep things in sync, in terms of allowing marketing to then, you know, have the ability to move quickly and change things and do promotions and that kind of thing. It's just kind of a nightmare. And one of the things that I, I mentioned casually to some people that work there is, you know, hey, you know, what about doing something like React Native, <laughs> where you could have mm -hmm. one code base, you would still, 
benefit from having developers that know iOS and Android well, because, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but there's always going to be that last percent where you may need to do a little bit of native coding, I would imagine, for for some apps mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. And and having experience in those areas is going to be helpful, you know, just understanding the glue and how things are kind of stuck together and everything. And I said, well, you know, what about doing something like this? And the answer I got back from everyone was that, oh, we were burned in the past when we tried to do one code base. So I would imagine they did something like Cordova, you know, or mm-hmm. and they ended up with a crappy web view kind of thing and just things didn't work out well. Or... It could be like what we talked about, where it doesn't matter who you are, what technology you pick, like you can do a crappy job <laughs> building it, right? But now they're forever scared of doing a single code base for anything. Mm-hmm. And I I listen to this and it just drives me crazy because I'm just like, you can't be, you, you can't go go the rest of your life eating raw food just because you were burned by fire once. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, you still have to understand that there are ways that you can apply, apply fire, that it's actually going to do things really, really well, and it's going to do the thing that you want, you know? And especially for an app that I think that is more gooey than anything else, I think a single code base makes total sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you can craft that up, and if the back end is separated into like a platform, which is an API that it ends up calling, a unified code base with something like React Native or NativeScript or whatever is just a wonderful way to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just, it drives me crazy hearing about them going to maintain these four code bases, because I know what's going to happen, you know? They're going to be out of sync, there's going to be constant problems with one platform or the other, they're not going to be able to move quickly. And I think their attitude is, well, we've already invested so much in this, but that's kind of the fallacy of a, a sunk cost, right? Because the real cost is going to be, what's it going to be to maintain this thing for the next five years? You know, what's it going to be to have this thing be able to move quickly enough to kind of match our speed uh, in terms of what marketing wants to add to it and, and that kind of thing. And they're, again, they're talking about adding another platform, adding a kiosk to it, ad- adding a, uh, a web component to it. And I just... Like, I already thought it was crazy that they had two code bases to begin with for this relatively uh, simple app. But then planning to add more, like, I just make it makes what little hair I have left stand on its end, Paulo. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's definitely, um, <clears throat> I I wouldn't even want to be in, a, in that position like that to manage all those different code bases. And, and it, it's... It's also not a matter of having different code bases, but the, the interesting thing about React and React Native, if you happen to build your apps sort of in, the, in those ecosystems, is that it's not that much different to maintain hmm. and work in either one. So uh, in a situation in the past I've, like that, like a, where they had multiple code bases for different apps that kind of did the same thing. One was like a PHP app, another was a Java app. And so like... People maintaining it either had to have multiple resources or right. even context switching. Switching if you're that one person that um, has to try to go back and forth between them. So it, the the cost of that I think grows exponentially compared to using tools that are sort of siblings of each other. Yeah, and and I'm not sitting here that you know I'm just chowing down on the React and React Native dog food, you know, because I I right, I, right. I, I, I like doing things the native way in some cases, but you have to look at what the app is and like what. Does it really need to be a native app for certain? And for a lot of things, like no, <laughs> you know, clearly no, yeah. because there are, there are multi million dollar companies, as you mentioned, that have built their they have built everything around React Native and a unified code base, and then they don't have an Android team, 
and an iOS team and a web team, all of which need to be, you know, have their own project managers and then have, you know, one overarching project and trying to keep everything in sync. Like, I mean, it's it's like herding cats, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And exactly. Exactly. even for a tech company, maintaining these different code bases is adds a lot of overhead. And if you're not a tech company, if this is not like the primary thing that you do, I just, I can't even imagine, you know? I mean, it's just, it mm-hmm. seems horrendous. But this gets back to something else that was a misconception for me about React Native uh, before I looked into it was I'm like, okay, well, cool. So I can write this thing in React Native and I'll get my iOS app. I'll get my Android app. And then I'll also have something I can put up on the web. But that's right. not the whole story, right? Right. It's yeah. It's it's there are differences in how you you get things get get things working for different platforms. So well, I guess what I mean is I can't just take the React Native code and then put it in a web browser. Right. I have to use something called React Native Web. Right. Yeah, you can do that or your own React components. But yeah, you can't use those React Native components for the React Native app. Right. Inside mm. a web uh, a web based application because of the way the primitives are are constructed. Right. And mm. the primitives I mean are the way it's like the browser elements like we spoke about before div spans paragraphs mm-hmm. um, header footer sort of tags that the browser knows how to deal with. React Native has different primitives that inform the sort of the native compo- the way the way the native components are rendered. So texts. Uh, views, even the, there's different types of buttons like touchable opacity and a lot, bunch of different sort of little nuances in how those are put together that you can't just like pour over. You have to sort of, that's why you harken back to the way React Native and React sort of mm-hmm. slogans are learn once, write anywhere. Well, and, and that's the thing is what we're doing. We mentioned earlier that we're swapping out the renderer that used mm-hmm. to render HTML for something that renders these components that make sense in a native context. So since we've swapped that out, we can't just stuff that in, in a web browser. So right. we can use something like React Native Web, which then implements all of these components that React Native provides to you, mm-hmm. these primitives. Or as you yeah. mentioned, and this is something I hadn't even considered doing because it sounds like a whole lot of work, you could write your own version of each component, right? So if you want to put it on the web, you can write your own text component. Oh, correct. That yeah. sounds like a yeah, lot right. of work, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it is, but it's still in the same context too. So, right. No, I was going to say, how does that compare? I, I've heard a number of firms that I'm familiar with look into Ionic, I think because it it does try to do a little bit more in terms of working with, you know, with PWAs, working with uh, React. They're actually supposed to be working soon with uh, Vue and other, like I think Angular. Do you know anything about how they work? And, you know, it, it, not only the fact that they don't tie you in just to React, possibly is your choice on what to build with, but um, that they would let you just natively, I guess, you know, go to both a, a mobile app to a progressive web app. Yeah, I believe those tools are still using like sort of native web views. So they're... Hmm. Um, they're not building out sort of the native components to make it an actual native app. So it's got it. Sort of a, think of it as a shell. The native app is a shell to web pages. Got it. So it's more of a wrapper, um, you know, yeah, a, a native wrapper around a, a web view. So, and yeah, I'm wondering then, you know, do you end up with kind of that? I think we all remember when the iPhone first came out and there were a lot of yeah, cheapo apps coming out that didn't quite feel right. And nine times out of 10, they were a weird. HTML thing. Oh, yeah. That's where you get some of that jank and scrolling issues mm-hmm. and okay. uh, the lag. Like when you press a button, it just feels a little off. Yeah. A little um, 300 millisecond delay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think some of those sort of projects have like tried to improve some of that. And I think maybe are trying to go the route of 
rendering native elements, but I don't know. I haven't used them in it, in it recently or uh, recently enough to actually say for sure if that's the case mm -hmm. or not. But that's why you feel the jank is they used to just be shells to web views. Sure. And I don't know yeah. either. And we, we had them on a couple of uh, guys from Ionic on recently to talk about Stencil. And that was a really good conversation, but we didn't delve into exactly how the Ionic framework worked at all. So I don't, I really don't know. I mean, it does, they do have a guide up there that says the definitive guide to hybrid versus native app development. So hybrid, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you're right. There must be some mix, but I don't know what that is, but whatever. We'll have them on and we'll talk about that with them at some point too. Yeah. But I guess the, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, for instance, this particular project um, that I was mentioning that my wife's company is working on, if they did take the the time to start, you know, they, they already are, are down this road where they're developing the iOS app, the Android app, and the native web app. If they started now consolidating the code with eventually the, the result being merging everything into one code base, I mean, it just seems like the long-term gain would probably be there, you know, because they would then get the iOS and Android app, you know, quote unquote, for free. And they would have one code base where they would be designing things once and they would have one set of QAs that had to had to deal with it because I realized there would be two different platforms. And yes, the QAs would be testing on both iOS and Android. However, because the projects would be in sync, that could be in one step of the process. You know what I mean? And then if they needed this thing to be on the web then, they could go this weird round trip where you go from React, which works in the web browser, to React Native, which doesn't, to adding in React Native Web. <laughs> so you go full round trip and then their app would work also on the web browser. And it just seems like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's one of those things that it just seems so beautiful and pristine from an external point of view or from a theoretical point of view. But you've actually done it. I mean, it, it, does this actually work pretty decently? Going back and forth between the web view to the well, the, the native render? Using React Native in general to build iOS oh, yeah. and Android apps, and then also React Native Web, if you've ever done anything with that, to then you know make it so you've got a code base that is available in a web browser too. Yeah, I actually haven't had to do work on a project where we needed web and native mobile. Hmm. But the, uh, from what I, when I was looking at React Native Web just to get a better understanding of it. That looks like a really great route to, to go because it uh, helps sort of ease that pain of yeah. kind of translating those components over. And that's, and that's really the only, well, maybe not the only, but the biggest pain is just getting those components ready for web and ready for the, the native browser right. or native, uh, native um, app. But you, Paulo, as someone that you know, comes from a expression engine, craft CMS kind of background to then you've been working uh, at, at IDEO for a while where you've been doing a whole lot of stuff with React and building web apps to then start building actual native iOS and Android apps. Was this a pretty seamless experience for you? It actually was because I had the uh, JavaScript and React sort of background. Right. If you have you could actually dive into React Native, which a little Java, JavaScript experience. Their documentation is pretty good. And it's getting better, um, and then you can learn React after that. But it's it's fairly seamless if you can if you're coming from some sort of JavaScript background. Uh, you don't have to be a super expert. It, of course, it helps, and it definitely helps make things go faster and much easier to understand how to put things together. Hmm. But uh, it's it's just getting your head around a different way of building. So. You know, there's different sort of performance implications you have to think about when you're building a website versus a mobile app. I mean, you still want to try to keep your assets as 
optimized as possible, but there's different sort of scenarios that you don't have with a, a web application. Like, how do you deal with offline stuff? Um, mm-hmm. You have to explicitly deal with that if you have portions of your app where you're reading or saving data, or even just like in our case, uh, in the, one of the apps I'm building at IDEO or the app I'm building at IDEO, it, uh, we decided to use like Contentful as a CMS and just suck down all the assets and save the content in one big JSON blob so that mm-hmm. all that was on the device and we didn't have to worry about, about, you know, reading data while someone's in the field trying to use the app. So everything's available right away. Yeah, or you could um, use a you know local cache and then attempt mm-hmm. to attempt to grab updated information. You know, if there's a network connection, and if if there isn't, you just use whatever's there, right? Right, right, yeah. and that's just something you have to keep in a little bit more forward in your head than you would a normal sort of web app that you're used to used to building. Because not a lot of people, unless you're it's a specific PWA, not a lot of people think about well, what if someone's on a train and they can't. Mm you know, save this to-do list item, you know, it's it's not something that is, at least not yet, is not something that people are sort of keeping at the top of their mind. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are APIs that Google has for Workbox that help make, you know, that kind of information sync a little bit easier. But I agree with you, like it's a mentality shift. But I want to I ask about your mentality. And, and I don't mean your, <laughs> your mental health. <laughs> like, don't worry, we're not getting into the, the deep, dark corners of your mind, Paulo. Don't worry. Um, we don't have enough time for that. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but the, the question I want to ask you is like, well, when you're working on these websites in React or whatever, and someone approached you about, you know, building a React Native version of this thing, how come you didn't just say, oh, I'm not an iOS developer or, oh, I'm not an Android developer? Well, because I'm one of those idiots that <laughs> likes to take on the the challenge of like, well, I know this exists mm-hmm. and I know this technology, so you know why can't I build this thing? Um, yeah. So I mean, especially if it's something that sounds like I would enjoy doing, I'd be like, yeah, I can do this. I mean, that's I guess that's how I that's the way I've sort of built my career is you know I don't you don't know everything and you know what you don't know you just have to learn how to know it. <laughs> so <laughs> right. the only way to know it is to actually use it. <laughs> And I think that in almost every case, when I've looked at something from the outside and thought that it was really, really complicated or really hard or whatever, after I got into it and started learning about it, it almost never was as hard as I thought it was going to be, you know? And I think there's just some amount of fear, you know, of, oh, this is going to be too hard. I don't even want to try and figure this thing out. But that's something that drives me crazy is I, I hear this all the time. People say, oh, I'm not a PHP developer or, oh, I'm a web developer. I don't do Android apps or, or, you know, you know what I mean? In other words, people compartmentalizing themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely true that you will gain experience or ex- expertise in a niche where you do stuff. But I think people are undervaluing how universal some of the skills are that they know from programming and that picking up a new language or a new platform is almost never as hard as a lot of people make it out to be. I totally agree with all that. Yeah, it's I mean, I was. I sort of, I was in that same boat for a long time earlier in my career because some things, they seem so daunting from the outside. Right. And then, like you said, once you start even just reading the like quick start page or, you know, hello world app, you're like, oh, okay. You, you Now you do have to get some experience to understand some of the, the nuances of it, but right. you can't do that until you actually dive in and understand the basics. And the basics for a lot of this stuff, especially for the web work we do, it transfers and translates over to a lot of other sort of 
languages and, and types of products or projects, especially sort of native app development. So, sure. And especially I think Swift is, if you understand JavaScript, Swift is pretty approachable as well. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that there isn't complexity in these things, right? Because I know there is, right. Right? right? And I know that a lot of these things are, you know, they're kind of infinitely deep in terms of, you know, how far how far do you want to dig down below the surface, right? And you could spend forever there. All I'm saying is that I don't think that getting up to speed or, or getting started on some, one of these things is necessarily as, as hard as a lot of people will then make it out to be. You know, mm-hmm. and think about it, you know, let's say you work at a small agency and you got a big client that has come in and they say, well, we want to do this uh, website and along with it, we want an iOS and an Android app. Mm-hmm. And whether you get this bit or not is going to decide based on whether you can do this or not. Right? <laughs> and, you know, maybe at some point it makes sense to try and uh, try and add some of this to your repertoire, especially if you are already skilled in doing React stuff on the front end. Because if you are, and again, this is from someone who has not actually done it, right? This is just from me reading and what I've learned about it. But it really just doesn't seem like it's going to be that bad to go from a moderately decent React developer to doing something in React Native. No, it's not It's not that much of a, a difference. Once you get the concepts down and understand the primitives, it's it's fairly straightforward. Paulo, it just, it just occurred to me like an analog to this is doing Google AMP stuff. Right. I know Patrick right. hates it because he thinks it's like this evil whatever, but forget about... I hope to die on right now. All right, what are we, what are we talking about? <laughs> Google AMP, okay? Just woke me up, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to prod you, didn't mean to wake you up. <laughs> but, you know, learning to build stuff in Google AMP, like, it really is kind of similar to doing React Native stuff because... It's killing the web? No, because you're taking oh. away a lot of stuff that you could have done before. Like, React Native is a subset. Like, you can't do as much stuff, right? Because it's writing to a specific set of components. And then you have these different tags, right? So just like for AMP, you'll have a different image tag if you want to display an image. It's the same thing with React Native, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the same exact thing. Same yeah. exact thing. Yeah. Same and, thing. And stop it, Patrick. <laughs> stop it. We're not, oh, I understand you don't like Google AMP, okay? Let it yeah. go. Let it go. Mm-hmm. But the, the real point is like it's kind of it's almost a subset, right? So isn't it like you're are you more limited in what you can do when you're doing stuff in uh, React Native as opposed to just React? Uh, I haven't run into any, any limitations. There's a tangent that we can talk about of how you build with React Native. There's a way you can, like in the documentation, there's two ways to sort of start a React Native project with the ones with the Expo hmm. and ones with the React Native command line tool. If you go the Expo route, a lot of the underlying APIs are easier to use, but hmm. there's times where you might need to hook into native code. So then you'd have to eject out of the, the app. But in terms of limitations of building an app versus a web app in react native i haven't seen any like sort of crazy limitations other than you want to make sure you don't have, well just like any web page but website is you don't want to have a 700 meg bundle if you're shipping a, a simple sort of crud app well i guess by limitations i mean something like you know the the number of quote unquote components that you get for free when you're building a web page like there's a lot of them right there's a div there's mm-hmm. a p there's a span there's a this there's a that but in react native if you're displaying text there might be just like a text yeah there is that's that's that is different and you have yeah. to get your head around well how do i reuse these or, or make them reusable to have like how does this mimic a paragraph how does right. this mimic this specific styling of like a a span for certain areas of the app mm-hmm. so that is a, it, it, 
it's it's a matter of just getting used to it and 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 finding ways around that or seeing how other people are doing it and adopt how they uh how they do it so that's there's are there's nuances that you have to understand i guess that's the best way for me to put it so my understanding is that part of the equation is writing the code right and uh-huh. the other part of the equation is all of the provisioning and all of the nonsense that you have to go through in terms of getting an actual app published from my experience and again this is somewhat dated but apple's process for doing this is incredibly <laughs> incredibly annoying and involved and you have to have signing chains and all sorts of, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Android, from what I recall, was relatively simple uh, in terms of getting this stuff up and working. Is that something that this expo thing that you're talking about is kind of helping with? Is that side of the equation? Yeah. So if you stay within the expo ecosystem, which probably another tangent for about 80% of the apps out there is that whole 80-20 rule. You could probably get away with using the ecosystem. They do make getting things in the app store a lot easier than if you did it natively with your React Native command line and have to do it all yourself because it's well, going to be just like building and, and signing a, an app built in Objective-C or, or Swift. Mm-hmm. It's a hoop jump. Well, let's define it. What is Expo? Because we've been talking about React Native and, and then we can do, use it for building these wonderful apps. What is Expo and where does this fit into the equation here? So the way I explain Expo is it's kind of like a, um, I guess, a framework for building. Uh, <laughs> a framework well, for a framework? I know. It, it's a framework <laughs> that Christ. sort of that sits above <laughs> React Native. Um, what's interesting, what they're doing is they're actually starting, I think they just announced this, they want to start targeting more than just native applications on the phones. They want to mm. start building native desktop apps apps for set-top boxes. Apple TV, TVOS. Yeah. TVOS, yeah. So that's kind of cool. But it's basically, think of it as a wrapper around React Native where they've tried to simplify, for example, using a Maps API. You can use their sort of Maps way of doing things. It's probably a little bit simpler than if you had to do everything by hand via React Native CLI. And with with that wrapper comes a whole ecosystem on Expo, expo expo.io, that you can opt into that will allow you to basically use their tooling for their whole your whole sort of life cycle of your app. So mm-hmm. using Expo to build your app, they have an Expo client that you install on your phone that allows you to play and feel and touch that phone, uh, phone that app on your phone mm-hmm. without having to like... So like test flight? Rigmarole of test flight. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to do that. That is much, much simpler for the testing sort of phase of things. I mean, from what, um, from what I recall, Paulo, from doing app development, and again, I haven't written anything in React Native, but my guess would be that if you if you have some experience in JavaScript and React, what's going to take you more time than anything else is figuring out how to do all the nonsense around it. Because like, <laughs> if you want to, let's say you're building this app and you want to test it on an actual device, well, you have to go through test flight and you have to have provisioning profiles and you have to provision the phone. And it's just a big, like it's a ball of stuff that if you're used to doing... If you're used to just writing stuff and re- reload the page and there it is, like, that's not how this works, right? No, it doesn't. And it gets <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. Um, and that's actually part of the process that I'm not looking forward to when this app is done. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, uh, I think, I think we've used the expo route just to make it. It is, at the end of the day, a fairly simple app that right. uh, we don't need to tap into any native modules that require us to eject or anything. So we can probably use their expo system to ecosystem to um, build and deploy and get it into the app store. So, and then also in a, in a setting like where you're either building it for another company or you're within a larger company, having one account sort of manages the sort of workflow and these processes is, I think, fairly, uh, 
fairly advantageous to, to, to your sanity. <laughs> well, you've sanity. used the term eject a couple of times. And I know that this is Correct. something that people who are in the uh, a lot of these framework worlds will be familiar with because, you know, if you're using something like um, create react app or whatever, uh, or any any number of other of these kind of starter kit kind of things, eject is a term that they'll be familiar with, but maybe not everyone is. So what does it mean to eject from something? Yeah. So in, in the in the world of React Native, if you start out with the Expo way of doing things, so you're using Expo to build your app and you realize, oh, wait a minute, I need to use this native, not, native module I need to plug into or run into something that Expo doesn't support, you can run this command that will basically take you out of that Expo ecosystem. They still sort of bundle things up so you can use any of the, the components or APIs that you've used with Expo into its own React Native CLI ready application structure. So it's it's basically taking what you started in Expo, getting it back to sort of the bare metal of what React Native CLI would do. And then you're left with the whole pre-flight and, and certificate signing and all this other stuff when you go to, to, to to build and deploy your app, but it gives you you know the more more access to integrating with other sort of the native modules that you would use. Um, so things that are are what a native module is is something. Well, it's the way I define it is something that's built in Objective C or Swift that you need to bring into your React Native app and sort of bridge those together. You can't do that with a, a, a vanilla Expo project. Got it. So basically, when you're using their framework. And everything is great. You may never have to leave and you're good to go. But if you do, you need to do some, if you do need to do something outside of what Expo does, you're not completely screwed. You can do what's called ejecting, which basically it dumps all the config stuff out and then you're just on your own and you're out of their ecosystem, but you can do whatever you want, right? Exactly. Exactly. What do you think, Patrick? You up for, uh, you up for writing your own native apps here? I honestly, I mean, this is the only way I would really consider doing it. I just don't have the time. I'd love to learn Swift. I've seen enough to think it looks nice and all. I don't have time or want to learn Objective-C or <laughs> forget about Android. No, I, I've said time and again, like if and when there's you know that itch to scratch of we have a client that's looking for something or just a good opportunity, 100% this is the way I'm going. I, I don't know if it'll be React Native or Ionic. I'll probably have to look at both, but yeah, it, it just makes a lot of sense. If you feel comfortable with web technologies, this lets you make that transition a whole lot more easily. So if a client came to you tomorrow mm -hmm. and they said, hey, you know, we want to build this software as a service thing and it's kind of a, an app-ish thing on the web, you might already be thinking, well, it's probably going to make sense to use some kind of a framework for it, right? Yep. And then if they say, well, we, we want an iOS and an Android version of this as well, you know, I mean, I think that's the time where you start looking at this and say, well, okay, well, what are our options for doing this, right? Yep. Yeah. And even, I mean, I would even start to just put the bug in clients' heads. If you know that there's someone out there that might look to do it and they may not have a ton of budget for it, but it's a small enough project that mm -hmm. you know, we could get our, you know, get into it and kind of figure it out on, you know, hopefully on someone else's dime, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but on a small one where there's not a lot of risk, because anytime right. you know, there's going to be a learning curve with something like this, even if you know React or if it's a view based one, whatever it is, there's going to be a learning curve. I always like the idea of you know something simple, maybe yeah, it's something they're using for like a basic kiosk or something. Right. Um, yeah, that could be really cool. And that's the other thing is there is a decent market for creating bespoke things for kiosks mm -hmm. or for expos or <laughs> not not the kind of expo you use to make apps, but actual expos that humans go to, you know, or interactive type of things. And, and those are probably pretty good cases for doing it in 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 a platform like this, right? I mean, one, one of the things that I have been thinking about is, well, let's say that initially your target market is just 
an iOS app. You can build it in Swift or you can build it in whatever. You can find engineers that, that know all that stuff. But if you build it in something like React Native or Native Script or any of these kind of interim formats, when the client comes to you in six months and say, oh, you know, the, the iOS app went really well, let's make an Android app. If you've done it in React Native, you can just like, you can kind of just build it, right, Paul? <laughs> I mean, you'd be like, all right, here's your Android app. Here we go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's not that simple, right? But it's closer no. than it would be when you're starting from scratch. Exactly. It's much it's much simpler. There are places where you have to sort of specify if you're targeting iOS or you're targeting Android, you mm -hmm. have to code something a little bit differently. So it's, it's, but it's, that's still much easier than having to maintain a whole other code base and a whole other language. Right. Um, and it's really not that, it's not that, I don't want to say it's not that difficult because that's probably not the best way to put it, but it's, it's less cognitive overhead and it's much easier laid out to do it that way. And, and that's and something that I think nice. a lot of people don't think about enough is a lot of times it's focused on what is it going to take to build this thing? And for a decent sized company that is going to be married to this thing for a while, what you really should be thinking about is in addition to what, to what does it take to build this, but you should be thinking about what does it take to maintain this? What does it take to keep this thing updated? What does it take to, you know, keep this code base something modern that we can actually be using? And that's something that a lot of people don't consider unless you know, unless they have experience in the tech business and they know how monumental this can be. But a lot of times the cost to actually write the thing can be less than the cost to maintain it over, you know, X number of mm -hmm. years, you know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's a case where looking into something like, you know, again, whether it's React Native or it's Ionic or, you know, any number of things, it makes complete sense to be looking into this stuff because, and, and I've seen it a lot, not just for end consumer apps, but also for bespoke apps that are made for companies. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have to maintain a whole iOS team, Android team, web team, you know, just for this app that is going to be used inside the company. Build it in something where you got one code base, like give yourself a break, you know? Totally. Exactly. Well, Patrick, I think you should build the next iteration of Mildly Geeky. You should build it in React Native. Mm. And then you should do the round trip from React Native to React Native Web. I'll get right on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I do want to honestly do the site over with uh, some sort of front end framework uh, that, yeah, I, I'm still tempted by doing a, like a Gatsby or a Gridsome or something like that. I, I don't think there's the, the, the audience there for a, a full native experience though. You don't want people to visit your site mildly geeky and, and they, it says, Hey, do you want to well, download the, the app? Store. <laughs> do you yeah. want to uh, download well, the and, app? And actually in Palo, I don't, you know, I know we want to wrap up, but, do you ha are you an Android person? Do you have Android devices for testing? What's that experience been actually when it comes to differences? Is it is it pretty easy? Or are there edge cases? Uh, I have ex I, I have uh, devices to test on in the apps I've built. Again, I don't know if they're just because they're not that super complicated, but um, the I haven't run into many edge cases and the in the way to handle different sort of styling and dealing with the way sort of the Android what is it material design system yep. mm -hmm. what are the, whatever they use in there. Mm -hmm compared to the iOS design guidelines that are implemented in the native apps, um, there, you know, there's places where you have to adjust and tweak things and spacing or do something different. But in all those cases, it's been a relatively simple fix. And in most of them, it's just sort of a, a simple ternary in this in the styling hmm. definition. So it's, it's fairly easy to one. It's, it's actually, it's once you hit that 
that sort of what you think is a bug, it's easy to figure out what's going on. And then the documentation is pretty good about helping you fix that and understand that. Yeah, because my understanding is it will actually that little layer that we swapped out on iOS, it's going to be using native iOS components on Android. Mm -hmm. It's going to be using native Android components that conform to material design or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where there might be a case where it's just like it's not it's not exactly right. You know, like the Android right. way to present things needs a little bit more space around it or isn't the same kind of component as the iOS version, right? Is, is yeah, that- and I think Android has a sort of native sort of home and back and forward type buttons at the mm-hmm. bottom. And sometimes right. you have to deal with that sort of stuff if you're targeting both. So I didn't mean to cut you off, Andrew. No, it's fine. But again, then we're dealing with finishing like the last 2% versus doing everything <laughs> bespoke. You know, for for each platform. And that's especially for a lot of the apps out there that are mostly GUI. That just seems like a monstrous gain. Exactly. Yeah, it's I mean, again, it's the whole maintaining multiple code bases versus doing it all in in one. Yeah. And and I'm and I'm not going to downplay, you know, having a unified code base because I think that's wonderful. But there's so many other parts of the whole development QA process that you then are streamlining. You know, mm-hmm. because th- then you don't have separate uh, project managers for each platform. You don't need them. You don't have separate QAs for each platform. You might still have, you know, additional QAs, but they're all, again, they're all synced on the same cycle. And there, there are just many parts of not just the code base itself, but everything that orbits around building an app that then just becomes a lot simpler to deal with. And I, and I don't, again, just like I think that the cost of building something versus the cost of maintaining it is something a lot of people don't think about. I also think that the, the cost or the, the benefit of a single code base versus the benefit of everything that orbits around that, you know, I think that that is a really important thing as well. Have you noticed that at all in terms of, or have you ever even been in a situation where you're going from multiple teams that get pared down? Uh, I actually haven't been in that situation because mm. the teams I've been on have been relatively small. Right. But I can imagine that that's a another situation where it, it helps for sure. I don't know, man. I'm looking at I'm looking at mildlygeeky.com and I'm seeing some <laughs> stuff that's up here and I'm like this this could be an app, Patrick. And that about does it for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> I well, now, to- now apps are becoming those like CD um, business cards of like what Ugh. early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think it would be kind of a fun project, though, right? Like, if you're already considering rebuilding this thing in, in some kind of a front-end framework yeah. or something, I mean, you know, you could target React Native Web and just build everything. I, I know it sounds weird, Ugh. but you could... <laughs> I know, I know. You could build it's, your... Uh, yeah. Okay. It just feels like the whole thing would feel like an app at that point. And right. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think, you you know, you made a very good point where, yeah, you want it to still feel true to the OS. And I, right. I'm sure you then have to get into maybe some conditionals saying, oh, Oh, if our build target is this, like let's put in a back button. Or if our build target is that, you know, let, let's make it feel at home in iOS and at, right. at home on Android. Because yeah, one size fits all approach. You know, as much as I like PHP Storm, I'm like, oh, if this is a native web app, a native Mac app. It would probably feel so much better. Or if this, you know, I, I think it's a really good idea though for a lot of cases, just for where people are building apps, unless you're doing something that absolutely needs to have, you know perfect usage of the GPU and perfect right. touch animations and all that stuff. But a lot of stuff, if it's UI and basic functionality and tapping around, um, I feel like this could benefit a lot from it. In, in terms of animations and performance and stuff, there's actually this guy on YouTube. I can submit, I can send you guys the link that sort of could, tries to mimic native animations and does them in React Native. Hmm. And it's actually pretty impressive how uh, how well they translate. 
Hmm. And he's, I'll, I'll show you guys the link. Yeah, please do. Um, and Patrick, you touched on something when you were discussing things that I have been through in, in talking this thing through with other people that were considering maybe using something like React Native. And that is, well, we don't want this to feel like some weird monster that doesn't feel like a native Android app or whatever, mm-hmm. right? The reality is, I think for a lot of the bespoke style apps that companies are building, a lot of people are building these apps that are essentially glorified stores, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and in those cases, there rarely is a ton of native UI that's in it anyway. It's usually that whatever the native branding is, you know, let's say the store is, uh, let's say it's an Apple store. So we've got an Apple app for buying stuff. Well, you don't really need to worry too much about the look and feel of on of this app on Android and on iOS. You really care about the Apple look and feel, right? That's going to be kind of across this entire app. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, there definitely are certain parts of the app that should function and, and look and work like a native app. But for what a lot of people are building, I don't, I, don't, I think that's not that huge yeah. of a concern, you know? Yep. But that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you'd like to have every episode delivered to your favorite player, you can subscribe via RSS or find us on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, please review the show on iTunes. That's where you can leave like a little star rating and a text review. You know, tell us how awesome or how terrible we are. It's the best way to help others find the show. And you can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website where we can continue the conversation. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. And thank you to our special guest, Paulo Elias. Thank you for having me. I always do that. I always talk. (laughs) It's okay. You're eager. It's all good. say paulo that you were incredibly calm cool and collected describing react native for someone that is a massive 500 pound bull chasing him <laughs> thank you i appreciate that. that's pretty good <laughs> well i hope it was informative and helped people we will find out